And then I woke James. up and realized it was 9.20, and I was like, fuck. <laughs> All right. All Let's right. not get on a tangent before we even yeah. start. <laughs> All right. Uh, so go to time.is, and we will clap at uh, 10, like Kay. 310. Yeah. I'm so used to clapping on my other microphone. to Abbey Archives, a Redwall reread featuring one pagan and one Christian going over the series to see what aged like fine strawberry wine and what aged like milk. I'm Izzy, I use sincere pronouns. And I'm Kit, I use she, her pronouns. You can find us and the content for the podcast, including art and links to other Redwall-related things, at Abbey Archives on Twitter. Um, so... Just a little bit of an intro on, since this is our first episode, yay! Yeah! Welcome first to the episode archives. time. Welcome to the archives. Um, we are your recorders. Uh, yes. <laughs> your, your recorders, your archivists, whatever you want to call us. In Redwall, it's recorders, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we just couldn't use that because there's another podcast that you Yeah, there's it. another much older podcast. But, uh, no. Shout out to them um, for recorders on the wall. Uh, so... My history with the Redwall series is I started reading these in fucking elementary school. I think I was in fourth grade. Oh my god. Um, and I found Redwall in my school's library. Along with one of the supplementary, like, shorter books, like the Tales books. I'd never read that one. Um, I found Redwall, was hooked immediately. And then I think after I read that, my mom took me to... Um, the used bookstore that was in town and I found more and was like, <laughs> mom, I want these. And she bought them for me. <laughs> and I read them completely out of order, but there is no order here. It's fine. Right. That's like the one nice thing about Redball. You can literally pick it up like anywhere in the series and just read it. Yeah. You can read one book. You can read all of them. It's just, it's, it's a good pick it, pick it up and go series. And I have learned as an adult that I have not read all of the books. Uh, I think I have, not read like five or six of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're still far, far ahead of me. I started reading Redwall in high school. Oh um, dear. 
Yeah, because I was going through our library there and like I had already read all the science fiction books I'd wanted to. And it's like, well, I guess I'll dip back into the fantasy books because like I already had a huge collection of fantasy and I was in the mm-hmm. sci-fi phase. And I was like, oh, hey, this looks interesting. I think it was like one of the ones with the fox on the cover. I'm like, I like foxes. And I read it, I'm like, oh, oh, well, it's interesting enough. I'll keep reading. And I, I think, think the only I got one that has a fox on the cover is Marl Fox. Yeah, that must have been the one I read. Like, the thing is, is that I have no memory of the ones that I actually read <laughs> in high school, except for the plots, like how I, I spotted, like, the, the um, you know, how, like, in later books, you started to get into a pattern of the yeah, books. Yeah, there's, like, there's a pattern. There's a pattern. Like, once I spotted the pattern, it was like, ah, uh, I see now. So, like, I intentionally started going out of my way to find the ones that did not have a mouse as the main character. So, like, tag, <laughs> Tagarung, the, Lutra, the, the Pearls of, of Lutra, Wall. Triss, etc. Yes, yeah, so... <laughs> um, but, like, I remember I did enjoy the series, but, like, once I spotted the pattern, it was like, okay, I've read enough of these, I'm done for now. And then, like, last year, I was browsing through a used bookstore, and I saw it had Tagarung. I'm like, holy shit, Tagarung, that's my favorite one! So, like, I grabbed it and bought it, I'm like... Yeah, I remember why I like these books now. They're like, they're like perfect comfort food. Yeah, Sometimes you just honestly. get a really big craving for it and then you go back to it. So like, even if I wasn't like the most devoted fan, I definitely enjoyed Redwall and like Redwall adjacent things. And, yeah, same. And it was just, again, like, it's like a comfort food. You go back to it. They're, they're in a class of books I like to call the fast food novels where it's like, <laughs> I don't need to read them all the time. They're not even maybe like all that excellent, but sometimes... You just want it. You just want to read yeah. it. It's quick. It's easy. It's comforting. So you go and read it. I go back and reread Outcasts of Redwall every so often because oh. like Outcast is one of, I have, when we get to that book, I have opinions. Oh, I am is, so ready to reread it. It is one of my favorite books because it does, it completely breaks that usual like pattern because yes. the main character is a weasel. <laughs> yeah. And like his, his anger is completely justified. It is because fucking. Oh my god, we cannot get into that here. <laughs> no, we need to focus. We're on the Later first episode. book today, everyone. We are reading Moss Flower, first book, um. quote unquote. This is <laughs> technically the first book in the series. If you want to go in chronological order, is Martin the Warrior. But yes. We didn't want to start there. We wanted to start in Moss Flower. We wanted yes. to start with Moss Flower, which is essentially the Arthurian tale that is brought up in Redwall. Yes. Kind of. And this again, is like, for some... this is King Arthur, and then Redwall is us. Yeah. Trying to, like, suss out what the fuck that shit meant. Right. Um, oh, also, um, this is... Children, listen to this podcast at your own... Like, parents, if you allow your children to listen to our podcast, we are going to be cursing, but we are not going to be going into sexual subjects. Right. I mean, um, like, because not that there is not... a lot of that in yeah. Redwall anyway. Uh, we are going to be talking about politics, racism, sexism, um, the other yeah, religion you know, the as things well, that like... religion. We're going to be going into some heavier subjects, things like that, because that's who we are as people. Uh, that's why we're coming at this kind of from the religious bent as well as from like a myth- mythology bent. Yeah, because um, like I mean, you can't really have one without the other. If we're honest, yeah, because yeah, the the tale of King Arthur is. A religious story. <laughs> it, it was a mixing up of older myths and newer myths, and then the French got a hold of it and made it all more confusing. Yep. So it, it's, it's Bible <laughs> fan fiction. Yeah, pretty much. 
it's like Bible much... fan fiction, and Redwall is kind of a continuation of that tradition of weird Bible fan fiction. Even um, though, like, again, we can't get into this. We need to focus on actually talking about the book first. <laughs> focus, focus, I mean, Moss Flower still fits into that, and this is part of, like, telling the parents, like, and That's true. kids, like, this is the stuff that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Feel free to listen. We are very funny, I think, personally. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, if you're, have, if you're struggling to read the book or if you don't understand something that happens, we can help explain it. If you want a podcast that is PG-13 slash G-rated, go listen to Recorder on the Wall. Yeah. They are specifically, like, I accidentally cussed on their podcast and they had to bleep me. Because <laughs> I didn't cuss. know. You can't cuss here, mate. Yeah, basically. Um, and so, with with that, knowing our history and what we're going to be talking about, our reading schedule and the way that we're splitting up the books is we're going to be splitting the books roughly into, th- um, like, three recordings. So, right now, we're doing Mossflower itself is split into three books. The first book making up literally half of the book. The second one being, like, a third or something like that. And then the next part is so fucking short. <laughs> yeah but again like it's 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 content it's it's content it's quality versus quantity kind of a situation yeah. and the first the first half is definitely uh quantity, quantity. there's it's, some good shit in there setup. but it's it's yeah. a lot yeah it's a lot to set up this story it's like the beginning of king arthur which is boring as shit right well i mean like again like you said there are some good things in there like there's one line that i really really love which mm-hmm. i made a note of so yeah so we're going to be splitting um, the books like that. Uh, the recordings are themselves going to be split probably into two to three episodes, depending on how long we go. Right. So we're going to be on one book for Again, a while. Again, this is episode one, guys. We're still figuring this out. Yes. We're going to be on this for a while. Some books may go faster than others. You know, it happens. Some are better, some uh, are worse. It happens with every author who's written like, what, uh, 20 plus books, you know. Yeah. Not all of them are going to be winners. I can't wait until we get to Long Patrol. The oh entirety of that book is fantastic. <laughs> the entire book. See, like, the um, fun thing is, is that um, I'm basically going into this semi-blind. It's like, I have the vague memories from high school. <laughs> so, like, I know kind of what to expect. But, like, as far as, like, the good details, I don't remember much of anything. So I'm looking oh, yeah. forward to this. So, like, I'm basically going into these, like, blind. It's so much fun. Yeah, I remember once I started reading Mossflower, there were a lot of things that I realized that I had forgotten uh-huh. Uh, and you notice I've made notes of it in our document. Like, oh, I forgot about this. Yeah. Um, but then there was other things where it's like, I just remembered them almost crystal fucking clear. Yeah. Um, and Mossflower is one of those books where I think I only ever read it once. Right. Because the beginning is a slog. Yeah. I have ADHD, y'all. This is, this was a fun one to read. I did not finish reading this until literally last night. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh. I, I, I'm lying in bed and I'm getting texts from, from, from squirrels slash Izzy. I'm going to also, this might get confusing. I will cause, call Izzy squirrels sometimes, even though Izzy is technically an otter in this situation. So if I call someone squirrels, I am generally referring to Izzy, just so you guys know that name. So like, they know it. All right. Yeah. So as we've said, we are covering the first book, quote unquote, in Mossflower, which is from chapter one to chapter 26. This first book is called... I can open my book. It's called uh, Kotur. Kotur? I, I, I was pronouncing it Kotir. Uh, my, there's no there's no um, accent on it, though. That's true. So Kotur. Yeah, it's probably Kotur because uh, I don't think the, the wild cats would be that Kotur. fancy. 
Not to mention that we're if we're bringing in like accents and stuff like that, probably definitely is coter because they tend to drop like eyes and mix the eyes and R's. It's either coter or coter. I kind of like coter. Yeah, we'll go with we'll go with coter. I mean, everybody has different pronunciations for a lot of things, right? Because I, uh, unless we're going by the pronunciations that happened in the TV show, which no, which I have never watched, so. That can be that can be like our our maybe like midpoint special. We watch a couple episodes <laughs> of the TV show. <laughs> I watched it once and I was like, I hate this actually. Oh, me and the Animorphs TV show. Anyway, uh, it, oh god, it suffers from that like late '90s, early 2000s, like very cheap animation oh. that's got a lot of still shots to it. Oh it's yeah, bad. and like not even like the good ones because like yeah. No. If we're honest, like anime has perfected like using the still shot and like yes. not making you realize they're cutting corners. But then, mm-hmm. like, you see, like, Western cartoons trying to do that, and it's just like, uh, it just can't quite pull it off. More recent shows have gotten better at it, but that's because they're, oh, yeah. they're taking their tips from anime. Anyway, right. content warnings, and these content warnings are going to be mostly the same across most books, because, again, they have a set pattern to them. He's um, very, very consistent in his level of writing and what he's comfortable with it feels like so mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah so content warnings are death violence child endangerment uh war mention slash just war in general tyranny unsanitary prison conditions torture starvation body horror birds birds uh and i just thought about one which is uh patricide oh yes uh patricide and general abuse as well yeah. as there is some sexism, there is racism, oh, sanism warning as well. There's some sanism warning. There's a there's a there's ableism in these books. Very much so. Uh, they are an unfortunate product of their time. Uh, Brian Jakes was was no Terry Pratchett. No. <laughs> Wait, is that how you say his name, Jakes? Apparently, that is how his last name is pronounced. When I was doing research, his last I... name is pronounced Jakes. Oh, French gives me a headache. He's not even French. He's English. But that last name is French. Look at it. I know. I've always pronounced it Jacques. He's probably freaking Norman. You've got Norman ancestry, don't you, Mr. Jakes? You're <laughs> yeah, a Norman. His name is just Jakes. And I'm like, what the Jakes. fuck? Okay, with the last name pronounced like Jakes, like I know we've gone on a complete tangent, but the last name pronounced like Jakes, I would be willing to bet you money that he has Norman descent. Possibly. Because that sounds like a bastardized French word to me. Listen, the the shit about him and his family is actually pretty light online. He was, from what I can tell, a little private about that stuff. But there is a good bit of information. And we can do an episode just on him at some point. He is an interesting person. You know what, though? To an extent, I'm very grateful there's an author who I don't have to worry about tweeting all the time. (laughs) Cries at my, cries at, you know, she who shall not be named the turf Uh. queen. The turf queen. Uh, fuck turfs, trans lives matter. Hell yeah. Uh, okay, I just took a drink, so my throat is not dry. Okay, oh, let me scroll down. Oh, let me actually, uh, really quick, so the way that we're gonna do our episode, since this is episode one, is, obviously we're gonna introduce the book, we're gonna go probably off on some tangents, we're gonna do content warnings, we're gonna read the plot summary first, and then we're going to get into our thoughts about the book, going through the book. We have lots of thoughts, but we didn't want to do them at the same time as the plot summary. Yep. 
because we want to leave more room for discussion and things like that. Uh, this might change later, depending on if we like how this is set up or not. But for right now, this is our current setup. Mm-hmm. So, take us away, Kit. Okay, so, at the start of Mossflower, <clears throat> we start with a setup of Kotur, the oppressive woodland. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we start with a setup of Kotur, the oppressed woodlanders and the tyrannical wildcats, with the harsh daughter Sarmina and the gentle gingivere. Is it we Sarmina also or is it Zarmina? Sarmina? Well, I was pronouncing it Sarmina. I always have, but then I realized it's it's supposed to be, like, based it on the Russian, like, pronunciation of Tsar. Zar- oh, yeah, so, like, Zarmina? Yeah, I think it's Zarmina. All right, so Zarmina and the gentle gingivere. Goody and Ben Stickle and their two dibbins run away during the winter. These are two hedgehogs who are, like, the last people living in Kotir at the time. Also, they have four dibbins, actually. Oh, four dibbins. I'm sorry. Correction. We only meet Ferdy and Cogs to start with, but then we meet uh, their two daughters way later. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's why I always forget. They're not even fucking mentioned until way later. (laughs) When they They become convenient and useful. When they become plot convenient. Right. Ma'am, where did these children come from? Did you just pop them out over the winter? Right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, also, apologies. Like, I probably will mispronounce quite a few things, but... um, I'll correct, Kit. Thank you. Okay. So then we also meet Gonf the Mouse. I think that's how that's pronounced. There's no... Gonf. How else are you supposed to pronounce Gonf? Jonf? Jonf? Maybe? Maybe like Jeffrey, but I've been pronouncing it Gonf. Because, like, the two F's. So, Gonf, the thief mouse, is introduced. A cheeky chipper fellow who loves to sing, dance, and cause mischief. We meet Martin, who is bound and caught and dragged before Green Eyes. who After is the beating the shit times. out of a bunch of people. Beating the crap out of them, yes. Like, we, we're introduced to him as he's beating up an entire patrol of various vermin. Um, yes. Which is partially what prompted the uh, sickles to run away. Um... Because they're like, hey, this mouse is offering distraction. Time to hoof it. Um, Green Eyes asks his two children what they should do with Martin. And the gentle gingivere says to throw him in the dungeon. And Zarmina, Zarmina, in a fit of rage because she had wanted to kill Martin for the air quotes insult of carrying a weapon, snapped the blade that Martin was carrying. Wait, did gingivere want to put them in the dungeon to start with? Or did he want to... Oh, Gingerbeer wanted to let them go, didn't he? Yeah, I'm looking it up again. Okay, thank you. Uh, give me a, just a second. Okay. Mystical. Waited for the drop. Um, to the here we go. Oh, here we go. Okay, yes. She beckoned away. Gingerbeer, have you nothing to say? What shall we do with this mouse? Some say that ignorance of the law is no excuse. Even so, it would be unjust to punish Martin. He is a stranger and could not be expected to know of us or our laws. Also, it would be too easy for us to slay him. He seems an honest creature to me. If it were my decision, I would have him escorted from our territory, then given his weapon. He would know better than to come back again. After Zarmina was like, the penalty for those who break the law is death, you know? Whereas Verdaga Green Eyes says, now I'm going to give you my decision. Put him in the fucking dungeon. Yeah, so that works. Yeah, so... Yeah. So Gingivere offers to let him go, and Green Eyes creates a, I think, a fair, like, for a tyrant, Green Eyes is rather fair with his judgment. Put him in Actually, prison for a little while, and then let him go. I don't think Verdoga, Verdaga, 
Lord Green Eyes is That's a tyrant specifically because it's stated later on in the book that the reason that conditions got so bad is because he got sick and Zarmina started taking over things. That's true, yeah. So, like, he I is, think like... He was just, you know, a, your typical lord. He's shitty, but, like, meh. Yeah, like, I, like he, he knows that you can't have a land without people. And if you mistreat the people, they will go away. So yeah, If you beat the cow, you're not going to get any milk. Right. All right. So, later, Sarmina and the herbalist slash mystic fox Fortunata kill Lord Green Eyes via poison and frame Gingerveer, who is also thrown into the dungeon. Thrown into the dungeon. To starve and be forgotten. Mm-hmm. Because Armina is like, we will never speak his name ever again. Like, damn, bitch. <laughs> you shall not be named. Um, <laughs> it's like Mufasa. What did yes. you say? <laughs> I said Kipasa? Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa! <laughs> Ooh, it just tingles me. Um... <laughs> um we also meet, uh, there's a neutral old eagle who came down from the mountains named, okay, this name's going to be fun, Argulor. Yeah, I think Argulor is good. Argulor. He is determined to eat one of Gingivere's generals, a twisted pine marten named Ashleg, who, as his name implies, has a peg leg. Yep. Um, Argulor, again, is very neutral and causes much consternation on the side of the enemy more than anyone else, because even though he's neutral, of course, he's not going to eat one of the good guys. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but the also it's brought up like it's easier for him to catch the the slow and fat stoats, weasels, and ferrets. Yeah, which considering how much they're constantly starving, I don't know yeah. why they're so fat. But I we're think gonna, it's also we're gonna implied talk that... about that. We're gonna talk about that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, so winter passes and spring rolls around, and Gonf is captured and thrown into the same cell as Martin. They escaped together. Because Gonf, the entirety of winter, has been stealing cheese and wine from yes. the larders of uh, co- of uh, the the uh, fortress. fortress of Kotor. Yes. Um, t- uh, they escape together and go to find the Korim, a group of woodlanders who have ban- banded together to fight against the rule of Kotor. And let me tell you, when I was writing up the-, the summary, Kotor and Korum are very similar, and it took they me quite sure a few tries to... Korum oh, stands for Council of Resistance in Mossflower. Yes. And personally, I felt attacked by Mr. J for writing the two of them so similar. Um. <laughs> I just noticed that you accidentally keep putting Gingivere's name where you mean to put Zarmina's. Yes! I kept doing that too! Because <laughs> you're like, Gingivere released it. It's like, no, no way, like, Sarmina, Sarmina did that. that. I'm Dang it. it. Oh, thank you. I, I thought I caught most of them. Um, yeah, Sarmina, um, in a fit of rage, releases a mad water rat who is taken down by a pike of the otter crew who picked up Martin and Gomp. What happens in between this is a very ridiculous and complicated escape attempt. Yes! <laughs> that actually succeeds, where Martin and Gomp literally, as they're trying to escape, run into Zarmina, Fortunata, and Ashleg. It's a very, and it's then actually have a to very do a, well-written sequence, too, though. It is. It's a comedy of errors of them escaping. It's a comedy of errors for the bad guys. Yes, obviously, it's very good. Because in, in Redwall books, um, the bad guys always have to be the butt of a joke. Yep. I have opinions about that. Um, yeah. And so they escape, and 
Zarmina is fucking pissed, and so, like, she literally chases them into the woods. Yes. Like, of moss flower, and the otters take the mice, because they, they get rescued by the otters. Yes. Uh, well, they got rescued technically by more than just the otters. The squirrels are also there, because there's otters and squirrels. This is not explained about why the squirrels are there, or about, like, nothing about these two groups is really explained beyond we kind of figure out that Lady Amber and Skipper are the leaders. Yeah. But not much else. Those, that, all of that gets explained in much later books. Yes. <laughs> There's so much in these books that just straight up don't get explained, and you're just like, I, I guess I'll figure that my suspension of disbelief, I guess. Yes. I, I think, like, we're just supposed to accept that, like, they all live in the woods. Yeah. So, of Which, course, as a all... kid, is definitely much easier to do. Like, it was much easier for me to just kind of accept that, oh, this character is here now, than it yes. is now as an adult, where I'm like, where the fuck did this person come from? Right? <laughs> just, <laughs> we're looking at you, Mask. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but so Zarmina gets fucking pissed and so she is like Fortunata go back to the castle and get Gloomer who is a mad water rat uh, who is then absolutely fucking wrecked by the pet pike of the otters we get like a named... whole chapter build up on this guy and then he's dead in two paragraphs yeah he's disturbing what is the name of the pike again Ah, uh, so, look at there, there, there we go, there we go. Mm, silver, swimming. Stormfin. Stormfin, yeah. Which is just a big pike. And pikes are very big fish. Oh yeah, not to mention they are scary. My my brother-in-law is a fisherman. He yeah, and the the pike just absolutely wrecks Gloomer. Um, now we can continue. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. We, I knew we were going to go on tangents, which is why I kept everything kind of short because I figured yeah. you would interject. Um, I, I would interject with what because I remember like, oh yeah, this happened in between these two yeah, things exactly, which I am perfectly okay with. Um, yeah. We arrive in Brock Hall, an ancient tree with a badger den dug beneath and into the roots and trunk. This Bella, is, this is uh, the ancestral home of the badgers. Yes. All That's badgers spring forth. <laughs> the only explanation we get from most of the book is that badgers live at Brock Hall, except right now there is one badger. Where are the rest of the badgers? Eh. Dead, they maybe. They all ran away to Salamandastron. Um, well, one of them didn't. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, but we, apparently- like, We don't know for the line- Spoilers well, like, for later is- books. Sunflesh might be dead. <laughs> Yeah, they, I figured he was still alive with all this. She was just like, oh, I don't know. We never found his body. It's like, your son's alive, lady. If you if you don't find the body, he's alive. That's how it works in these books. Um, Salamandastron is a very good book. I can't wait to read it. Um, Bella of Brock Hall is the maiden and unofficial leader of... Maiden? Yeah, she's a, she is a maiden because she is no longer married. Her husband's okay. dead. Is that, I guess that's why I wrote it. I'm sorry. Okay. And Bella? she calls herself the maiden of Brock Hall, I guess. Okay, okay, thank you. Like, she she definitely did that at one point. Okay, I was reading that. I'm just like, why did I type that? Okay. Bella of Brock... Hey, sorry. I just had a uh, nasal drip thing. Oh, gross. Disgusting. God, cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I promise. <laughs> Bella of Brock Hall is the maiden and unofficial leader of the Corum. The abbess and fellows of Lomehedge reveal they Which, fled... Who oh. showed up 
in the middle of this escape attempt. It's just walking on the, down the road. Like, I, I am so sorry, but I keep imagining the scene from Monty Python where they're just walking and smacking themselves in the head with boards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the otters tell the squirrels to take them to Brock Hall, which is I not our first mention of Brock Hall because that yes. gets mentioned way earlier on, but yeah. it's not really explained what Brock Hall is. And then now we get our explanation of Brock Hall. Yes. Um, and so the, the abbess and the entirety of this... The remaining survivors, order? yeah. I think From it's more Lone than just religious, but... I, I still think it's like a weird monastic order of druids. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. It gets explained yeah. more in like Lomehedge itself. Okay. Because I was going to yeah. ask. This is there is a book about, about them. Later. There is a book about them. The thing with Mossflower is literally every single group that is mentioned in this book has a book later. Okay. <laughs> in um, some way, shape, or form. Whether okay. it be in the future or in the past. Lomhedge, I think, happens kind of at the same time as Martin the Warrior. Okay. So... Chronologically, um, I don't remember specifically, but... um, Continue, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, The abbess and fellows of Lomhedge reveal they fled a terrible sickness, of which they are the only survivors. We get food talk. Literally just Oh my god. So I, much I've food. cut out all the food from the summary. Like we know, there's food. There's singing. It's a Redwall book. There's and a lot of food. Chib, and we are going to talk about. Oh, I forgot Chib. No, no, he's down there. I have. Yeah, him he's in, there. in here. But you put him after, like, because uh, the thing where Zarmina puts the rabble through their paces doesn't happen until the next chapter. Oh, okay. The prompting to hire Chib happens in this, like, this part after their the oh, abbess okay. talks to Martin and Gonf. Okay. Um, where they're trying to come up with a plan to keep an eye on the um, the fortress, the castle, whatever the fuck it is. It's old, rotting, and disgusting. Yeah. Um, because it was there first, and they yep. the cats just live in it. Um, yep. so they they uh they hired Chib, and all we know about Chib from this is that he is a robin and he is a bird and he would want payment, and. Yes. It's, we're going to talk about it. Yes. <laughs> um, and then in the next chapter, Zarmina is fucking pissed. Yeah. I think we can just blanket statement. Zarmina's fucking pissed. All the time. Very angry she cat. Is always mad. <laughs> she is that one cat who is just like, if she's by herself, she's normally fine. The minute you come near her, she is so angry at you. And you're just like, what the fuck did I do? Just the, like the angry thing yeah. that cats do. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um. And she she sends patrols into Mossflower. Um. Also, we have a section where she goes to you know, uh, try and taunt her brother, and that doesn't go well. Oh no! Poor poor Gingerveer has caught ill, and his feverish eyes are enough to send his sister running along with his wails of murderer. Yeah. Uh. Like. She just, she is unsettled by him. And, and you know what? I would be too. Yeah. I mean, not because, only like that instinct of like, oh, this person is not well. Yeah. But um, it's also like, not even, I don't think he's actually sick. That fevered look is also something that's used in books to describe like somebody who is, um, like they may look sick. They may look like they're not doing well, but it's kind of like that, that they're still fire yeah. in them. They are still fighting. Yes. 
So, and that unsettles Zarmina because he's been in there all winter. Yeah, and he's starving. not backing down. Yeah. And under any other creature would have at this point. Yes. Except for Martin. Except for Martin. <laughs> but, you know, he's the hero, so he doesn't count. And Martin also has a similar fire in him. Yes. It's, it's a warrior's fire. I'm going to um, get mad Gingivere, about what they do to Gingivere, aren't they? I'm so mad. Uh, that's not for this recording. That's not for this recording. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, we can't, we can't, we can't put the cart before the horse. Right. <laughs> but there's no horses in this universe, except for one. <laughs> except for one. <laughs> except for one poor horse. Um, we're going to get into that, too. Uh, <laughs> that's not this book, either. Okay, drinking game. We're going to get into that. Take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get into that. Take a fucking shot. Um, um, so, uh, yeah, the, the patrols into Mossflower doesn't really end well, uh, but they managed to catch Ferdy and Cox, who decided to do the thing that young children do where they're idolizing a bunch of warriors and that's run away and try to do the thing themselves. Ferdy and Cogs are like eight years old, maybe. Yep. They're very young. They're little hedgehogs. They're in like blanket capes and little pot helmets. Little pot helmets. Little they're babies. they're waving. They have got stick swords. Um, and they get we get this this funny comedy of errors sequence where Ashleg's group and Fortunata's group fight each other in the woods because they didn't realize they were each other because the the moon had gone behind some clouds. Yeah. Whereas, uh, Clud, who is the captain of the the uh, soldiers, like he's the captain of the army or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, caught the two baby hedgehogs. Um, and this is this is now when we get to the they am actually hiring Chib. Yeah, because they need to figure out like, hey, uh, can you find our lost children? Uh, <laughs> yeah, and um, Chib accepts this. I uh, love Chib. It. I love Chib so much. I also this is where we get the first mention of Columbine who is a one of the um I guess nun mice because that's what a mon- like a woman in a monastic order is called is a nun. Yes, because and like men we, are we've monks. got abbots, we've got abbots and abbesses and monks and nuns. So like even if they are like you like you say like druidic in origin, their structure is 100% catholic. Yeah, it's that catholic monastic in, order. Yes. Yeah. And so Columbine is like a nun of this order from Loamhedge. Of and whoever she... they worship. Who knows? The <laughs> earth? Who knows? Yeah. Religion is weird in these books. Um, and she promises that if Chip gets injured, they'll double his pay, which is candied chestnuts, I by love the way. That. Because he's a fat little robin. I love him so much. Like, again, like, and also, like, for listeners who are not aware, this is a European robin, not an they American small, robin. They are fat. They're just little balls. Yes. Um, American robins are sleek and much larger than European robins. And very noisy during the springtime when their babies are like, feed me! Yeah, they're very noisy. They're noisy all the time. Don't even. Yeah. Um, so, Chib, <laughs> I'm sorry I have taken over what your thing. That's fine. You're filling in the stuff that I didn't put in. Um... But yes, Chib agrees and aids them in contacting the still imprisoned and now feverishly weak Ginger Bear. Yeah, um, and knows, like, gets information about the Dibbins and stuff. Yes. And, like, that's a whole thing, like, throughout the rest of the, the, the book, because I don't quest. think we're going to bring it up, bring it up. But Chib is the reason that Coram finds out, like, 
where the Dibbins are, what Zarmina's planning to do with the Dibbins. G- yes. They help, like, Gingivere, they help feed Gingivere, and Gingivere gets stronger because of this. Gingivere is very, very kind. Yes. This is a thing that's really important to note in this book. Uh, Verdaga was a tyrant, and he was very middle of the road, very in between Gingivere and Zarmina. Yeah. Zarmina is a tyrant. Oh, completely. Yeah. She is the worst of the worst. And Gingivere is like. Soft. Soft. Gentler. He's um, he's gentle Gingivere. And he helps the, the Dibbins as a whole. This is the entirety of Gingivere's arc in the first part of the book is that we get to see how kind he is. And it's like proof to like, quote unquote, proof to, you know, these Dibbins that even like the scariest creatures can be kind. Yeah. Um, I really think that he is a very good and well-written character. I wish we got more of him. He, he falls under the unfortunate case of most, um, most There's... kind vermin who appear in Redwall. They are yeah. kind only for us to care about them when they inevitably die. Which is something that we will see repeated time and again, <laughs> and it makes or me Or they're very just mad. completely fucking ostracized. Yes, because you know we don't trust you, and they're just like, for, for fuck's sake, what do I have to, what do I have to do? Walk on water? Um, yeah, basically. Anyway, um, <clears throat> and continue because this next part's frustrating. A riddle quest is started by Bella, who gets the idea to send Martin to Salamandastron to uh, air, like find her lost father and no not father mate her her husband yeah her mate yeah uh, and like, her father because her, uh yeah. no her mate died yeah so she wants him to find her father or um, the um or if her son was still alive or the long yeah. patrol or just somebody some other badger yeah. because apparently she can't lead as well as a male badger can um, or the thing is it's brought up is that um Lady Badgers are archivists. Yeah. They maintain, they do a very important and honestly, very taxing job of maintaining the records of their people. They maintain both oral and written traditions and help keep up, like, all of that. Bella has kind of neglected her duties a little bit because, you know, she's by herself. Yeah. She's older. Like, she's, I think, in this book, she might be, quote-unquote, in her 40s to 50s. Yeah. She's older. She is an older woman. And, you know, at the very beginning of the book, we didn't mention this, there was, like, a um, mini, like, prologue part that started in the future with Bella. And she's much older. She's an old lady. Yeah. So I think in this, she's, like, 40s to 50s. She's younger- but an older woman, her husband died in, it's mentioned, her husband okay. died in a rebellion against the Wildcats. Right. Um, her son went uh, after the Wildcats to get revenge and just fucking vanished. Okay. Um, her father went to find Salamandastron ages ago. This is Boar the Badger, I think. Yeah. I don't remember specifically what he's called. And so she gets Martin's attention by just talking about Salamandastron and calls it the Fire Mountain secret place of the dragons to lure Martin in. <laughs> yeah. 
Basically, she, like, she she knew what she was doing with that. Yeah, she seduces him with the call of to adventure. Um, and then right, they have well, to do a fucking to get riddle quest with Martin Gonf, Bella, and the mole Dinny. They find they they complete the first riddle and find a secondary riddle, which is a map to Salamandastron. And how they find I, the first part of the riddle is because Martin gets frustrated after they have literally torn apart. Bella's office, which is full of all of these records that are yeah. completely disorganized. Yeah. Which and again, Martin is... gets angry, slams his fist down on the desk, and then gets gut punched by a secret drawer. That's a terrible secret door, by the way. Secret yeah, drawers are just not the, supposed the... to not supposed to pop open. You're supposed to have levers and catches. That's the whole point of them being secret. Listen, it's probably actually personally, I think that that is a very good way to have a badger find something because badgers, male badgers specifically in these books are a little headstrong. True. And they get frustrated kind of easy when they're younger. Yeah. They definitely play into that younger warrior is more headstrong, the hothead, less likely to think. I can see Boar the Badger getting angry at this, or not Boar, yeah, Boar the Badger getting angry at this and just, you know, Fucking a slamming a fist down and oh, smacked in the stomach. Yeah. Uh, you know what? That would be kind of cute. Like, I can just hear, like, the grandfather or the, the dad just being like, <laughs> <laughs> in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, right. the, and then they have to, like, Bella accidentally breaks uh, the crest off the door of Brock Hall I because know. it's made of metal. <laughs> it's so cute. She's like, and oops. And Dinny, Dinny is like, I'll get my grandpa to fix it. Don't worry. It's so good. It's in so wholesome. In speak. We'll get into mole speak later. We need to focus. Yep. Okay. At the same time, so they find the secondary riddle, which I suppose isn't much of a riddle. It's simply told by a goose. Basically, they get directions from a goose from like probably 50, 60 years ago and had to figure out what in the heck the goose is talking about. So all three boys, um, again, Martin, Gonf, and Dinny, all pack up and start to head out to Salamandastron at the same time. The Corum plan and mount a rescue mission for the two stolen hedge babes. The yes. two parties, they leave together and then split paths, are spotted by a Coter patrol, and a few are sent Led after by Martin, Clud. By Clud. Clud the Clod. Clud the Clod. <laughs> a few are sent after Martin and company, and... The ones that are sent after Martin is two idiots and a very, very smart... What is he, a ferret? Uh, I think he's a weasel? No, because the other two are weasels. That's right. No, then he is a ferret. Yeah. Um, uh, his name is Scratch, and he's very smart, and Clud hates him. Yep. And so he is sent after Martin and Co. with two idiots. Yep. What a good commander. And Clud also sent somebody to run back to um, Kotor to report to Zarmina that there is a Robin that seems really suspicious and might be a spy for the Woodlanders. And then he gets eaten by Argilor. Yeah. Yep. Argilor just because swoops in and has himself a nice midday meal. Argilor is like, oh no, the Woodlanders are going to get caught. Nope, Argilor happens. As I say in my notes later, Deus Ex Eagola. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So um, the secondary team does... You got me all turned up. Sorry. Um, one sent to report to Sarmina is eaten by Argilor. 
Okay, we flash back to Sarmina and the Dibbins, who the Dibbins resist repeated questioning from Sarmina. Despite being hungry. <laughs> They're hungry, but they still resist. Like, honestly, these kids do better than I thought they would. And honestly, because when... uh, Zarmina's fucking scary. Yeah. But they're like, we have to be brave like Martin and Gonf. Yep. Um, after... They're good kids. <laughs> Afterwards, they are thrown back into the cells where they then meet the gentle Gingivere. And... They're on either side of him. Yep. And what Gingivere does it's is so he good. pulls stones out of the walls. With his, with just like a On either pick. side. Yeah. He just, he, well, cause I mean, this place is old and wet. That mortar yeah. is not very good anymore. No. It just comes right out. Um, and so he makes holes for them and they're small enough to fit through. Yeah. Um, and you know, talk to each other and see each other. And Gingivere is like, okay, I promise I am, I'm kind and I'm fine. We're going to figure out how to get you guys out of here. And then, um, we get later stuff with this party, I believe is the party that is taking, vittles and yes. rations to them. Basically, we have some of the um, the monastic order from Loam Hedge carrying packs of food. And we have the otters around them and the squirrels in the trees above them. And they're going to one side of KOTOR while still being in the forest. And they're going to basically load up s small packs that Chib can carry and fly to uh, Gingivere's cell, which has a little hole that leads into the surface of the courtyard. Yeah. Which I'm assuming is just so that he gets wet all the fucking time. It might be where he gets water from, yeah. Ugh, well, terrible. I always imagined it was like a drain or like an air hole, so like it probably it's isn't like It's an air like hole, but it is down, also a drain. Angled. Yeah. Even if, it, even if it is like a drain, it's still like, it's, it's a drain. Yeah. Um, And Chib can fit down it. Yeah. Which we learned earlier, Chip can fit down this hole, and so he brings—he's gonna bring food, and then you know, Zarmina sees them. Yep. She <laughs> right before Clud gets back to tell her this is happening. Yeah, she's like, "I already know, idiot. Get all the troops. We're gonna go launch an ambush on them." Uh, and the and they do, and so the, the the this sequence honestly is a very very good like it's uh, very well fighting written. sequence it's yes. very well written this is this is one of those instances like throughout the entirety of the book we see Zarmina's fucking smart yeah all of the the thing is is like in a lot of the books the leader of the vermin is typically pretty smart and clever ex barring a few circumstances yeah um where somebody underneath them is smart and clever. Yeah. But Zarmina is one of those few villains in the Redwall books that is legitimately, like, I'm terrified of her. If she actually was, She's... like, competent. Yeah. If she had people underneath her who were competent, this would be no challenge. Yeah. Like, say she was, like, she had the otters and the squirrels on her side somehow. Yeah, and the entirety she, of Moss Flower would just be dead. But that also, <laughs> if she, if that were say in the bleh, bleh. if that were the case, she wouldn't be a tyrant. Then they wouldn't follow her unless she wasn't. And if she no. wasn't a tyrant, then we wouldn't be having this problem in the first place. I mean, I think that we would still have this problem, but that has to do with the fact that otters, weasels, ferrets, and stoats are all mustelids. <laughs> they're all they're not the same animal, but they're all pretty fucking close. Yeah, but once cute needs fish, so it can be the good guy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Bad. back to it. Um, 
the, we cut back to Martin and Co. Yeah, we cut back to Martin and Company, who have seen, basically, they hole up for a night in a hole, courtesy of Dinny, and they watch the vermin, the three vermin walk by having an argument, a very silly argument about their their uh, rations. And the they have a good doing. laugh and fall asleep while the vermin spend the night sleeping in a dry ditch. Uh, the next morning, the trio hops the ditch via a pole and the vermin wake up, one of whom was like, I swear I saw a mouse fly. The other three mock him and then they proceed to chase the other three, the trio, across the open plains. Yep. Um, and then we, you know, the, this with the with this trio along with like with both of these trios yeah not a lot happens it's literally just we're cutting back and forth from the battle that's happening at the same time yeah it's pretty much like battle these journey battle journey more villains are or more uh, vermin or assholes antics or and, stupid or stupid like oh boy do they grip the yeah. stupid ball pretty good sometimes yeah. Um, the Woodlanders are doing a good job at holding back the ambush. They have taken some losses, but they managed to evacuate the Lompedge, uh, Lompedgers? <laughs> the mice. The, the, the monastic order of the mice. The monastic <laughs> order of mice. They managed to evacuate them into Mole Hall, and they make a good retreat. The squirrels have one last good volley at the bad guys, and then they bug out. Uh... Yeah. The, well, again, like, and this is part of the story where we see the trio in Kotir enjoying a meal brought to them by Chib. Um, yep. The journey continues. Sarmina has another hissy fit. Um, she threatens to hurt the Dibbins this time, where she means, like, not to the Dibbins themselves, but she says, like, if we hurt these children, the Woodlanders will give us anything we want because they're stupid and sentimental and don't like seeing children hurt. Chib hears this. Specifically, and... Fortunata says that. Oh, that's true, yeah. Well, she suggests Fort... it, yes. Fortunata says they would do anything for their children because they are soft and sentimental. Yes. And Sarmina's like, huh. Yeah, all right. Evil grin. Yeah. Hello, I am Twirl a villain. Twirls her whiskers kind of bullshit, <laughs> except she doesn't actually do that. Yeah. And, I'm going to go kick know... a puppy now. <laughs> yeah, basically, I'm going to go kick a puppy now. Um... And it's like, if we threaten to hurt these Dibbins, they'll do anything we want. Yeah. So Chib, Chib hears this, runs over to, well, flies over to the Corum, and- Manages also, to just narrowly avoid Argilor. It's so cute. Like, he just sits down on a tree branch, catches breath. Argilor burps. Chib is like, excuse me, and flies off. And Argilor is like, are birds faster or am I just older? Uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, and falls back asleep. <laughs> It's like so it's it's easier to catch a fat weasel than it is to chase after a fast little robin that yes. won't even be much of a meal. Which I love because that is one hundred percent what an old aging predator would do. It's not worth the mm -hmm. effort. I'm just gonna stay here and eat the easy prey. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, let's see. So Gingerbeer's plan, like after oh, Chip release, so smart. It's very smart. Gingerbeer's plan is to hide the Dibbins in his cell so that it looks like they've escaped. And then what the Woodlanders do, and this is a very smart plan. Very smart. It's very smart. The problem is Armina's also smart. But yeah. <laughs> uh, what they do is, this is where we meet Goody Stickle's two daughters, uh, Posey and what is the other one's name? 
I don't remember. They're not important enough to remember. <laughs> they are not. Um, but so Goody Stickle has two daughters. Yes. What they do is they dress them up. They don't act like Ferdy and Cogs whatsoever, but they dress them up for the part. Yes. So that they look like Ferdy and Cogs. Because, you know, honestly, hedgehog children all look the same. It's the thing where, like, children under a certain age all look exactly the same. Which is nonsense, but... No, it is true! From a distance, I suppose, but... From a distance, like, I, I, my, my niece is two and a half years old. I'm spending a lot of time around a lot more kids now who are, like, that general kid shape. But if, anyway, we're getting on a tangent. Back yeah, but if you, if you spend enough time around them, you'll be able to tell them apart. But if yes. you dress them up exactly the same, yes. you may not be able to tell them apart. Now, Wildcat's definitely not going to be able to tell them apart because she doesn't give a shit. Yeah, that's true. Um, But she's also very, very smart. When a guard comes and says that the Dibbons have, are not there, they search the entire castle. And then Zarmina thinks to try and see if they're in Gingerveer's cell. She doesn't open his cell, but she, like, looks in there, and she's, like, squinting at Gingerveer. And Gingerveer just starts acting. This is where all the, that sanism comes in. He starts acting crazy. Yeah. He starts acting like he the, the, the being fever. down there and starving and being in a wet, gross environment is really yeah. starting to affect him. And it unnerves her again. And she just is like, they're not with you. They would be scared of you. What the fuck? Yeah. And then one of them sneezes. <laughs> it's so cute, too. And he's just like, uh-oh. Says, achoo! And he just holds, like, straw to his face. And is like, achoo, achoo. Oh, it's very the funny. The wet. Yes. The cold, the wet. I'm dying. Very dramatic. I love Gingivere. And Zarmina's just disgusted. And I'm like, ugh, gross. Go away. Yeah. Uh, and she leaves. And the Dibbons are safe. And we They're get, you know, Chip comes back. They're hiding two sacks next to the doors. It's so smart. It's so cute. Yeah. They're hidden. Yes. It's very, they're small enough to be hidden because hedgehogs very are very, clever. like, small. Uh, we're going to get into how Brian Jake's approach is sizing in these books. It's, it's bad. Confusing. It's bad. But uh, um, then I, we yeah. swap back to Martin and Co., and this is where oh, hang on, hang on. You skipped the map. Oh no, we do. Yeah, it's it's it's. I believe it's it's. We yeah. kind of get like that first introduction of the mask, where it's just like, who the fuck is this? Yeah. Then we skip to Martin and Company, who they where murder to... swans happen. Yeah, murder, murder swan. Martin uh, notices the swans and is like whispering to the other two, like, "We need to go. There, there, there is a one a swan sitting on a nest over there." And a male swan who is swimming right the fuck towards us. And if we don't leave, he's going to see us and he's going to kill us. Yes, which is very and accurate. So, and like when I saw this, I'm just like, yes, somebody finally acknowledges that swans are fucking terrifying. They are terrifying. This is honestly one of the few books that does birds really well. Yes. Despite how they're treated, the birds are done really well. Robins, especially European robins, are like that. They are fat little bastards. Yes, and I love them. Um, golden eagles, especially older golden eagles, do go after the easier prey, and they are, you know, they don't care. They don't care yep. if you're a mouse, they don't care if you're a rat. Yep. Your food. I can attest Swans, to this, because, like, our area has a big issue with golden eagles right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they keep eating all the yeah. lambs. Um, oh, no. Yeah. It's with a thing. We'll talk, we can talk about it later when we get to Argular. Um, and then the swans are very territorial, extremely. especially if one of them has eggs or babies. So what happens is they leave and then Scratch, Splitnose, and Blacktooth, which are the names of these three vermin. We're going to talk about their names later. Yep. They Ugh. come across the swan and think, hey, swan eggs, this will taste good. And We've like, never had swan eggs before, but they're just 
dumb birds, right? And so they try and, like, scare the the mama swan away, and she just hisses at them. They and also, then Scratch they also just gets... that her cygnets have already hatched, so... Like, she's not even on eggs anymore. She's on babies. So that's even worse. Possibly. We don't ever see these babies. Yeah. We just see the two adults. The, the, the male fucking mercs scratch. Straight up. dead. Like, like we don't even see the death. It's just like, you hear a scream and he's gone. Yeah, he's just dead. He's gone. Dead and gone. I'm actually a little sad he's gone. (laughs) I like him. He was very smart. I did like him as a character because he wasn't as... Idiotic as a lot of the other ones. Idiotic as the other ones. Um... He just let his uh, mouth or his bra- his stomach rule his brain for and a And his pride. And that led to his death. Um, yes. So and Mercs- then the other two just run away screaming. Valid. Yes. I would um, too if I saw, like, the swan is, I love in this book that, like, the birds are basically dragons if they're not small. Honestly. Yeah. Like. They're basically dragons. And, and yeah. that goes on in the other books too when we get introduced to, like, other eagles and owls and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, don't get me started um, on the owls. Oh my god. Yeah, no. We're not gonna go there. We're gonna get there in Redwall, I think. Yeah. I believe there's an owl in Redwall along with the sparrows. Oh boy. But so, Um, after this point, we we swap back to Brock Hall and we have the Mask, who is an otter with no tail and is a master of disguise. Like, he shows up and he is dressed like... A ferret, I think it was. A ferret. Yeah. Yeah, he's dressed up like a ferret and everybody's like, what the fuck? And like, he, Skipper's he like, did this no, no, just no, to be a dick. Fine. He like, he 100% he did, did he this abs- just to be a dick. But it also proves to them that he can do this. Yeah. Because it's so convincing. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how the fuck it's so convincing, but I guess it's because animals are stupid. <sighs> yeah, that's pretty much my theory. Because like, they talk about him wearing a mask and I'm like, yes, he can wear a fox mask, but what about his lower jaw? You'd think she would notice that his lower jaw is the wrong proportion size. Also, supposedly he's suspension put the of disbelief. The mask is never explained. Yes, the mask is. I don't think magic. he's ever explained in any book either. I do not remember this character being anywhere else. And I feel like I yeah. would if he showed up more than once. He is essentially magic in his ability to trick people. And like, I will say this: this like, is the actual like Deus Ex character. Yes, like I joke about the, the Deus Ex Machina. He just comes up in here. I mean, you also did Deus Ex Munkina, which was fucking funny. Thank you. Um. <laughs> um. <laughs> so he shows up and Fortunata is in the woods because she is trying to... She's she's pulling a trick on them, basically. She's got, like, like traveling, like, herbalist outfit on an old ratty cloak, a bag of herbs. She's got, like, I think a staff and she's yeah. kind of, like, wobbling around um, trying to figure out where Brock Hall is. Yep. And so they... What Mask suggests is we, let's bring her in here and show her just a little bit of things. And he dresses up as a fox. And an old gray fox who looks positively, according to the the woodlanders, looks positively fucking evil. Yeah. Like even, even, um, even Fortunata Fortunata sees him and she's like, this is like the most evil of my kind I've ever encountered. He leads her all over the woods. It's hilarious. Yes. Um, but before that happens, we swap back to the trio getting caught by Splitnose and Blacktooth. And then Splitnose and... And then they... They get just kill each because other over food. They just kill each other with food because they're stupid. That's the thing. 
literally, it's because they're stupid. Because what Gaunt, Denny, and Martin do is play them off of each other. They basically pull. You a, get that um, ferret. You get that yeah. weasel kind of bullshit. Yeah. It's very. It's it's very Bugs Bunny. It's a classic trick to use on your enemies, and like part of me loves this trope because it is funny, and part of me hates it because it is so overused. Yeah, um, it's dumb. Thank you, um, Tolkien. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it works, and they kill each other. Does. Like basically, what happens is Split Nose stabs Black Tooth with his spear, and Black Tooth dies, and then Split Nose just gets sucked into the stream in like a deep mud hole basically which are things that happen in streams this is this is 100 like brian jakes fudges some things but when it comes to stuff like that like the power of nature he does he gets not. it right every time yeah he does not fudge that shit yeah. animals if they go too far into body water and they don't realize that there is a hole there they will just sink straight in and die yes it is terrifying it is terrifying very and good then we, for making you know, fossils switch, though Yes. And we switch back to the forest again, where they bring in Fortunata to Brock Hall after the mask leads her on a merry, a merry chase. And she says that her name is... Because they, they, they have code names. Yeah, the they got boxes. code names. I love, I love how they, um, they, they word this one line here. Marston by Trey, Captain, Big Oak, please. Where the Let's fuck see. is this? There it is. We've got Bessem Tail, which is Fortunata's, uh, uh, Fortunata's fake name. Yeah. The Mask chooses the name Patchcoat. Yeah. And, like, it's accurate. Yeah. Fortunata set, like, thinks as much to herself, but I hate it. We're going to go into that. It's very bad. Take a shot. Drink water. Yeah. Don't actually drink alcohol when we do this because you'll die. But drink water. Yeah, drink water. Take a shot with water. Um, and or, so they or bring whatever non-alcoholic liquid of your choices. Yeah, they bring her into Brock Hall finally, and like obviously the Woodlanders are suspicious because yeah. if they were too welcoming, it would be always obvious. suspicious. The Woodlanders are always suspicious of foxes. That's just how it is, like, apparently. I don't understand because, like, they, they establish that, like, healer foxes are very much a thing in this universe. It's like, supposedly foxes are very good at being healers. But then they're I have also, a note like, about it. I have a note about it. Yeah. We'll get into it. Okay. We'll, we'll get into it, I okay. promise. Yes, we need to. I, I have opinions. We're almost so, done with the summary. Almost yes. an hour an hour in, so. <laughs> it's fine. This is important. This is essentially we're summing up the book for everybody so they know how the book goes for people yes. who maybe can't read the book because, like me, they've got some ADHD problems or they have yes. issues reading, etc. This is making sure they get that good gist of the book. Yes. And then we go into, like, all of our proper discussion. Yes. So, after they get into Brock Hall and, you know, this is still flipping back and forth between, like, our trio of heroes and Brock Hall. Like, this is yes. just... We're we're trying to do this a little linearly, but it's it's swapping back and forth. It does get a little confusing unless like we go in and like do it note by note. So like that's why we yeah. hit like the spark notes, important things, even if they were a little out of order. Yeah, because uh, it's all happening at the same time as right. the thing. So they bring her into Brock Hall so that she can you know see that little bit. They feed her and patch coat, and then make them scrub dishes. And she implies that she can get patch coat a job as a captain at KOTOR and to like try and catch these you know stupid woodlanders etc it's all sorts of like just dumb espionage and the mask is fucking he's a very good actor he's having fun he's chewing the scenery uh, the long patrol would love him yes 
I think the Long Patrol would love him. And then after that, we cut back to our intrepid heroes. I where actually kind they- of enjoyed this part a little bit. Like, I, I groaned a little bit seeing that, like, of course, the reptiles are reptile and one amphibian are the bad guys. But essentially, yeah. they reach a river. They are trying to ford the well, river. No, they're, and they they're find still on that stream. Point. They're trying to ford the stream, which is too wide for them to get across and yep. too deep. It's not a river yet. Yet. It is a stream. So well, they find yeah. a fairy point and are accosted by a newt and what looks like an adder. Martin is having absolutely none of it. Like, Martin just full on goes like, yeah, fight me. Bring it on. He grabs. Basically, what happens is he starts just crossing because there's a rope strung across this stream with a boat on the other end, like a little, like, ferry boat. Yeah. And the the two reptiles, quote-unquote, pop out from behind of it, and are like, you have to pay a toll. And yep. Martin is like, no. Yep. <laughs> and he crosses the river and, like, threatens them with his broken sword. Calls and it then, his dagger. And then the logalog, yeah, a dagger. lonely logalog shows up, clubs We don't know his name is logalog. What we get is a shrew pops out of nowhere with a big club and beats the absolute shit out of these two, uh, out of the snake and this newt. The newt's tail, gone. Yep. They're both flipped into the river and we realize, oh no, this adder is actually a grass snake. Yep. And like, I still love that he's still threatening him. Like, I'll come and get you. And the shrew's like, yeah, sure. Go right ahead. (laughs) Like, he's just not And he introduces... He introduces himself as Logalog and then screams, Ooh. I love Logalog. Logalog, single. He just screams that and they're like, are you the only one here? And he's like, yeah, I'm alone. Yeah. We get his backstory where he was like a slave on a uh, pirate ship and he escaped uh, around Salamandastron. Like he knows where it is and he knows how to get there. And he's like, I didn't want to go through the mountains. So I went around them. That took a couple seasons. And Martin and co are like, is there a faster way? And Logalog is like, maybe and they're like could we take the stream and logalog is like we could i've never done it before but now i have a crew yeah and that is the end of book one yep it's a pretty it's like it's a very solid ending yeah it leaves you off at a point where you're like well now i want to read more yeah it's like I why would you do this to me? i want to know what happens to the dibbins and the others and yeah yeah okay <laughs> now that we've got that done it's discussion so, time! <laughs> woo! All of our points. Our points are in order with the same thing. Um, so, we've already talked about, like, I have the, the print run of this book that I have is the Illuminated Manuscript cover from the 80s. Mm-hmm. This is an older version of this book, and it is fucking gorgeous. If you can find a copy of this, it is well worth it to have in your collection. It is beautiful. Both, there's a set of three for Mossflower, Redwall, and Matameo mm-hmm. that have this style of cover, and they're the only ones. They are amazing. Mm-hmm. I am trying to get my hands on a Redwall copy, so if anybody has one <laughs> that they'd be willing to part with, I'll take it. I do have, like, one small side note here of, like, I love how fantasy... Uh, sorry, I leaned away from the microphone. I love how fantasy okay. books, um, they'll put those maps in the front of the book. Like, oh, here's a yes. map of all the key events. And I'm like, nice. I'm never going to yeah, look at I this also, again. <laughs> I, I also have a note about that. It's just like the, the, the maps that are in the fronts of these books. And in some of the books, I would actually go back to figure out where they were because they were in a place that wasn't Mossflower Country. Right, yeah. You know, like, especially in a lot of books that feature the squirrels and the otters, they're either way further north or way further south. Right. Or further east. I do, like, I also have, like, one small complaint where I'm I'm just being, um, 
pedantic here, but I am very, very bothered by the fact that there is one big-ass volcano implied to be by an ocean far away from the actual mountain chain. It yeah, doesn't it's a little work weird. Like and it bugs me. It is it, a little weird. It should be in the mountain chain. Where do you hide a mountain? In a mountain chain. I don't know why Salamandastron is hard to find when it's a volcano off in the middle of effing nowhere. Like, oh, well, yeah, here's just this one volcano on its own. I just noticed, I just noticed that the little badger in the corner of this map is Sunflash. Oh, you can tell? Because he, he has the club. Oh, yeah, he sure does. That's Sunflash. Also, I love the frog with the trident, like, yeah, I'm going to eat you. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the frogs. God, we're going to get into that one later. <laughs> Okay. Oh, um, God. The, the, oh, my God. I, also, I used to just, I love the illustrations. Yes. These books are, honestly, they're gorgeous. The little, the little illustrations that are at the beginning of every chapter. They are very are nice. really, they, they show something. They are very good, kind of like just a brief little, like, flash into what that chapter is going to be primarily focused mm -hmm. on. Yeah. It gives you just enough to keep you interested, but not too much to be... Mm -hmm. Terribly spoiled. And sometimes there's silly scenes of the vermin getting the shit kicked out of them. Yes. <laughs> or in the case of chapter 26, it's just a shrew carrying yep. a club. Yep. Yep. Or it's just a shrew carrying a club. Yeah. I was looking at that and I was like, what kind of fucking animal is that again? And then like I kept reading and I was like, oh, it's log a log. That's right. Like to be fair, shrews are very absurd animals when you see them in person. They're very absurd. Because They're you're like, absurd. it's like you look like a mouse, sir, but you've got the body of a, of a mole. I don't like you, sir. And then they're just like, fuck you, I need to <laughs> and run off. <laughs> shrews are terrifying. Uh, uh, um, I'm so mad that Google Docs made my little emoji look very fucking weird. <laughs> Um, I've already mentioned how much I like uh, Mr. J's writing style. Um, it's okay it isn't good. Mr. J because if I keep saying Jack or Brian Jack, I'm just gonna fumble over Jake's. that every time. Uh, well, let's we can call him Brian. Brian, like Brian okay. J. Let's okay. call him Brian J because saying Mr. J, J just is big Joker vibes. Yeah, like so it. Brian J. Um, um, let's see what was I saying? the scene the the beginning scene. I already talked about this a little bit, but that little like prologue scene with the Dibbon and Bella the Badger. Yeah, it's very good. It's very cute. It's a good introduction into telling you the way that this story is being told by Bella. It is a story. Yeah. So there's a way where we can believe a lot of the things that happen to this is Bella kind of embellishing. Yeah, like she's remembering all this. So of course some of the facts are going to be weird. Some things might not make sense. But she's also telling sense. it to a Dibbon. Yeah. Uh, but also, damn, Bella, that's a lot of exposition. <laughs> this, I'm assuming this story went over multiple sessions. Because I think this, I'd be, in a, I'd be impressed if this kid managed to sit through all this. Um, yeah. But. Uh, I, I also, I, books are also why I know way too many big words. Yeah. I, I also put a note here. I'm amused at how much they emphasize how rusty and crappy the sword looks in the first chapter, as if we don't know where this is going, as if we don't know what's going to happen to this sword, you know, yeah. or the remains of this sword. Because as far as we know, all he has now is the hilt and part of the um, upper bit of it. Uh, it does He's got the hilt, and cro hilt cross guard and a little bit of the very, like, bottom of the sword yeah i think what do they call it like the tang no the tang is something else um anyway the, the tang is the part that fits into the hilt yes um i've watched enough show uh blacksmithing shows okay. to know that um, it's it's literally it this is it's the bottom part of the blade that connects to the tang and yeah. it connects to the cross guard yeah. it is it should be the sturdiest part of the sword which is why it didn't break off 
at the tank. Right. It broke in the middle, which is where it is more likely, the middle and the end is where it is more likely for a sword to have faults. Right. Uh, and shatter. That's where you get delamination, where, like, your layers of metal start coming apart. You can get chips more easily, cracks, yeah. etc. <laughs> I know too much about swords. Yeah. Um, um, so I also made a note here that it's chapter two when we get our first song. Brian J. really cannot resist his limericks. He cannot. Also, we get right before this, I want to just mention, we get our first introduction in this book to the moles. Where we have Earthclaw. Oh my god. And I would like to, we're going to mention it later when it's brought up, like, that mole speech is quaint. I like the way the moles talk. I do not They're like f- how the way the moles talk is treated. Yeah, it's it's fun. Because, like, it, it feels like, again, like, this is um very much Brian Jay's, like, British coming out in strength. Because, like, there are uh, quite a few, like, colloquial accents in the UK, yeah. like, that are just completely indiscernible. Yep. To people who don't speak it regularly. Like, I I have a feeling that the way the moles talk is actually, like, adjusted so that people can understand them yeah. better. This is how they speak with people who can't understand them. If they're around other moles, it's like me listening to somebody with a very, very thick Scottish accent using Scottish slang. Okay, like, you know that scene <laughs> in, like, for those of us who've seen Brave, you know that scene, like, at the very end of the movie where that one big kid just goes off in like his native slang and everyone's looking at him like what the hell are you saying that's i saw a tiktok of somebody who a scottish person who translated what he was saying she's like i understand what he's saying yeah i mean like because that's like my accent it's actually like it's really not that hard to understand if you just take a minute because like you've got the content anyway we've got you're watching the movie and you don't have time to pause and re-listen to it it's yeah it's one of those things so like definitely takes you a minute or two to parse it as a kid i would always try and like talk like i would try and mimic like i would read the lines where the moles were talking out loud to try and make it make sense it's as an adult it's much easier for me to do that well it's fun too because like it's there's something like very much fun about the way they they talk vermin patrols be out brr weasels and stoats and the like they be a looking for more vittles you know like that's how i always read it just like a little bit of like almost like i guess more irish it's it's a bit like I'm sorry, we're going to piss off every Scottish and Irish I know, person I'm so sorry. that we're, ever we're, listens to this. We're Americans. It's kind of like t- a weird mix. I, listen, Brian J. has some issues. And this is one of them. This is definitely a kind of mix of accents. And it's weird. I, I think it's like... It, it's kind of like how in a lot of like fantasy settings you'll just kind of get like the generic kind of blending and homogenization of certain like regions you know because like in a lot of fantasy settings you've got like here's the vaguely british island area so like you'll have different cultural things kind of mixed together like one of my favorite videos like small shout out to osp but blue <laughs> just going on a complete and total rant about like yeah sure they do this Viking thing, but then all of a sudden you've got like an effing church in Valhalla, which is not how it works at all. You know, like how angry he gets. Cause like, yeah, sure. This stuff was in England about two or 300 years apart from each other, you know, but the, yeah, like, just that like mixing they, there's... of cultures and uh, accents and various things. 
Yeah, it's, 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 especially because, um, hold on, I'm actually going to Google something really quick because I don't remember specifically where, um, Brian J is from. Okay. Wikipedia page. Wikipedia. He's from, he is from Liverpool. Okay. So he is English. Yeah. You can tell. Like, I'm not Yeah, you can tell in these books that he is English. But it's knowing where he's from in England that kind of colors this. Yeah. More. Because, like, if you're... Where is Liverpool? Hold on. <laughs> I don't want to be wrong. It's okay. I was like, you're fine. Honestly, okay, it's... Liverpool is more north. Okay. And it is right on the edge of Wales. Okay. That probably so, explains some things. Yeah. So there is a degree where it's like, I don't know if you've ever heard an English person say, like, I'm from the North, so only I can make fun of a Northern accent. Yeah. It, it's kind of like that. There is definitely probably a bit of that in here where it's like, yeah, I'm from further North, so there's some things that I can make fun of. It's possible. It is entirely possible that actually the moles are Welsh. That, that's true. Because have you ever heard somebody, like, in a deep Welsh accent just start talking? Some of the shows my dad watches, yes. It is wild. It is a wild accent to listen to. It's a good accent. I fucking love it. Yeah. But it is, when they start getting into it, it's like, damn, what the fuck are you saying? Oh, it's so much fun. Like, I love- But, like, in a good way, because I want to know what they're saying, because especially, like, the Welsh language- Yes. Is amazing. It is such a weird Gaelic language, and I love it. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. don't know if I could ever learn it because I am a potato. But <laughs> anyway, this is also where we get our very first, very clear divide between mice and vermin. Yes. Because don't you know, only good folks get real names. Well, not only do they only get real names, but only mice and like good creatures know how to farm and take care of themselves. Vermin only steal. Also, mice and hedgehogs and, like, the smaller, like, more quote-unquote docile, like, good creatures. Yeah. Air quote. There's so many air quotes in these words. Yeah. Get regular names like Martin. Yeah. Or Ben. And then you've got, like, moles and otters and squirrels have such a weird mix of, like, quote-unquote real names and like you get earth claw yeah well there, it's, it's whose name is spelt u-r-t-h claw again it, it, but it's pronounced earth claw that well that could also be like if these guys are welsh that could be kind of a callback to like you had a lot of like older names stuff like that that were that would sound like one thing like um oh god i'm listening to the british history podcast well, no what i'm what i'm saying and, is that a lot of the the so um well, there's there's names where like uh like springtail or things like yeah. that where it has to it's more quote unquote less civilized yeah. sounding names yeah which doesn't as a child I was like oh yeah that makes sense because they live in a river or they live in the ground or they live in the trees and then as you get older it's like oh there's some of those biases popping up again yeah <laughs> yeah because <laughs> yeah. that's it's the difference between like Anglican Christian names and traditional names. Well, not right? just that, but like you got the North, um, North Northerner names. Because again, like I said, mm-hmm. like I'm listening to the British History podcast, and he's going through like right now. It's like he's talking about all the 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 
back and forth between like you've got like the Normans starting to sneak in. You had the Danes who mm-hmm. came in and really influenced. Like there was like Athelred Unred, and like his name is Unred, which means to us, like to an English reader, we would think, oh, that means he doesn't read. But no, his name is literally just Unred. It, it just means nothing in English. It's just unread. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like Gaelic names that are very similar to the quote unquote less civilized names of like the various like creatures of Mossflower. Yes. Or like that. They're very interesting names. And they usually have to do with like something you're good at, something you do. Right. A lot of the time somebody's quote unquote last name was either the name of their father or a name that they earned. Yeah. Like, just to drop a hint, like, my family, we've got, like, some Scottish influence, um, mm-hmm, and too. our last name, they think, I'm not going to say what it is, but they think it was inspired by goat herding. Like, when we actually trace back the actual, like, history of, like, why our last name is the way it is, they're like, well, the odds are your ancestors were goat herders. And it was like, huh, all right. My last name means ditch digger. <laughs> I looked it up once. Uh, it means ditch digger um, in... I think Welsh. I'll have to look it up again. That's later. amazing. Uh, I love but, it. But my family, my uh, uh, my great grandfather was Welsh, like pure Welsh. Wow. I'm only a few generations removed. I don't know any of my Welsh family, just flat out. I don't know them um, because they never kept in contact uh-huh. because they moved here when email didn't exist. <sighs> yeah, they moved here like literally, like they were immigrants. Yeah, in, like the 40s or 50s well god i've got like so i've got cousins in germany who i'll never know exist because i had like yeah. my great i've also got family in italy that i don't know anything about and i have family in ireland that i don't know anything about because my great-grandmother on the other side was full-blooded irish yeah so anyway back to the book here. anyway yeah <laughs> yeah last names are weird especially when you get into the united states blah blah blah, blah. yeah me i we get into chapter two where we see martin yep <laughs> Martin uh, kicking the teeth out of a lot of different vermin and being absolutely a little spitfire, which I like, I love this setup where like Martin is just walking around. Like he is just on a journey. He has no idea what's going on. He's just out to like, I guess, find himself. Cause his home is pretty much yeah, trash. He doesn't, he, He's got nowhere to he go back to. Yeah. So he doesn't have any, he's just like, I'm going to go and see if I can't like find my purpose kind of thing. Yeah. He's on a self, fulfilling journey which i know we get more into in martin the warrior and i yeah. don't remember because i haven't read martin the warrior in a while um we also get introduced to gomf this is where we get that like song because he's a little bard he's a bard and he is a rogue and i love him yes. and ignoring what happens later on in the book because i don't care for it this this mouse gay you know he could be <laughs> bisexual he could be bisexual. You know what? Fair. Buy or pan. Okay. We 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 stand. We stand a bisexual mouse. Little gay bard. Yes. <laughs> we stand. We stand our little bisexual bard thief. Yes. I love him to death. He is one of my favorite characters because he is, he he is a bard's bard. He is a thief's thief. He he is all of the best of those tropes. Yes. Honestly, it is a very common trope. But it's a good one when it's done well, and Brian J. does it really, really well. All right, so we get into it. The vermin are getting the teeth kicked out of them. Martin is just was just minding his own business. And then he just gets jumped on because he's carrying a sword, and they're like, hey, you can't do that. And he's like, the hell I can't. Also, he does something, like, 
I don't. Is it Martin or Gonf who does the passable weasel voice? It's Martin. Sorry, no. It's Gonf who does that because, like, it's Gonf is still in the fortress when this happens, and he hears the two weasels, so he does like the passable weasel voice. And I'm, I'm guessing it's probably a case of like maybe mice voices are kind of like kind of higher pitched and maybe softer because you know mice are smaller and maybe weasels are a little more nasally because they're the bad guys and you know i'm a weasel i'm going to be evil and gravelly and i whine a lot because i'm i don't like to work and i just want to kill things and eat you know that kind of a thing the racism it is here basically yeah um i guess it would (laughs) be this is speciesism in this this but well, it, it's, it's basically because the 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 basis of tropes like that, where yeah. the bad guys have different voices, is definitely based in the othering of people who are not the same as you. Because yeah. I'm from the American South, I live in the American yeah. South, and this is a thing because people will mock black voices and the way that they talk, and a lot of times that style of speaking is used in books and movies. For bad guys, it's people who, they don't talk as clearly, they don't enunciate, their words are not, like, there's a lot of shorthand mm-hmm. and things like that. Well, like, but last night, Dad actually Dad actually had Treasure Planet on when I got home. And I noticed that, like, all of the pirates, all of them, have foreign or simpler accents. Like, uh-huh. all of the bad pirates. The one good pirate is vaguely British. Yeah, it's still a different accent from the American accents that everybody has, except yeah. for the Captain Amelia and Mr. Arrow, who are also like posh British. Yeah. Whereas, whereas the one good pirate, why can't I remember his name? Silver. Silver, that's right. Silver has a more rough and kind of like uh rural yeah british accent you know, it's much more rough sounding yeah. it's definitely the less posh and less quote-unquote yeah. educated so like the weasels stoats and ferrets don't sound educated speaking and of it's weird i know this is out of order but can we go <laughs> on a tangent about how how are all of these woodlanders not only are they literate all of these woodlanders are literate including martin who grew up in the north as a warrior is also somehow literate. And not only are they all literate, but they all have a unified writing system that has the same spelling. That stuff didn't exist back then. You did not have a unified writing system. Old English is such a pain in the butt to read because they wrote it how they wrote it phonetically. They had no concrete spelling system. It wasn't until yep. like even back if like if you look at English, like, like, we're talking like American English, First British of all, English. English is a stupid language. Yes. We did not have a unified writing system until, like, the Webster's Dictionary came out, until actual dictionaries were able to be mass produced. Hold on, I'm gonna look this up. Yes, look it up. Um, um, when did English get a become unified writing system? And, like, even then. When did English get. A unified writing system. And like, the foley of my mechanical keyboard. Yeah. And English language. Yeah, whilst, whilst Izzy is looking that up. This is pertaining to the book because, like, these books, many of them depend upon riddle quests. And when the riddle quest is done by characters who live in the Abbey, 
I am willing to believe that they live in an abbey. They live in a air quotes civilized area. And abbeys in ye olden days were the places where people were literate and knew how to read because most ah, of the job of a monk was to write books. I got books. it. Okay. I got it. So I'm just going to read this paragraph from the English language Wikipedia. English was developed over the course of more than 1400 years. The earliest forms of English, a group of West Germanic dialects brought to Great Britain by Anglo-Saxon settlers in the 5th century, are collectively called Old English. Mm-hmm. Middle English began in the late 11th century when the, with the Norman conquest mm-hmm. of England. This was a period in which English was influenced by Old French, in particular through its Old Norman dialect. Mm-hmm. Early modern English began in the late 15th century with the introduction of the printing press to London and the printing of the King's ja- King James Bible and the start of the Great Vowel Shift. Mm-hmm. Modern English has been spreading around the world since the 17th century because of colon- colonialization. Yep. Because colonizing bullshit, which is why there are so many countries in the world that can speak English because England sucks. Yes. And the United States also sucks. Yeah. So. We suck. Yeah. So, like, again, this is, like, my comment on, like, these are all literate creatures, except for the, it's like, it's like we are allowed to believe that a mouse who grew up in the North, who was trained as a fighter, very well trained as a fighter, somehow also had time to become literate. And not only is he literate, but he reads the same, air quotes, English language as the Redwallers. But the vermin are not educated they're not smart it's like how are they supposed to survive this long if they're this stupid like and it depends on the vermin too because some of them are intelligent like it's it's yeah i mean the vast majority of them are very intelligent but that intelligence isn't encouraged yeah um like it's a thing like because you can see a lot of them do make those connections between smart and stupid ideas but the smart ideas aren't typically encouraged yeah because if they ever try and speak out you know, they're punished. Yeah. Um, and there are vermin who can read. There are quite a few vermin who can read and write. But then we also get those moments where vermin tries to write and it's garbage scrawl. Yeah. Which happens. It doesn't actually happen in this book so much, but it happens in other books. Yeah. Um, which, to be fair, my and, handwriting is also hot garbage, too. But <laughs> yeah. But uh, the weird the weirdness of this is, is this dichotomy also shows up not just with the vermin but between the pastoral species of woodlanders and the otters and the squirrels well not just that but you also have the, and, the and the moles the guosim too like the shrews yeah and the shrews they all the the biggest one i think is the otters and the moles because yes. they very specifically have a different dialect and uh, accent than everybody else yeah but it's kind of like that acceptable accent type thing like I, like I was talking about the moles have a quaint accent the otters speak in more not water non the water bullshit yeah. like most of the time like they use sea terms because, like you're river otters yeah you you're not, oh my god the, there's no difference in these books between river otters and sea otters and it drives me fucking it does nuts. it drives me crazy like i'm sorry How- sir your river otter would not be having a good time if it went out in the ocean. They are not made for and salt your, water. Your, your sea otter, your sea otter would not have fun in a river. No, it would not. They don't. They can't move around on land as easily as river otters can. They can't. There's a reason they sleep in the ocean. Brian, we need to have a talk. 
<laughs> no, but that would have been too hard. <laughs> the weird thing is the illustrations, like the pearls of Lutra are about sea otters. And they're all and river the illustration, otters. The illustration on the cover does give the otter on the cover more sea ottery features. But it's still a fucking river otter. Maybe, like, in this fantasy setting, they've interbred enough where there's, like, this weird in-between species they've all become. I'd be willing yeah, to accept that with some of the other <laughs> weird animal nonsense that, like, like the water rat. What's the deal with the water rats? We'll get into okay. that one. Um, Back to... But, yeah, there's just some weird... There, there's a lot of very bad tropes when it comes to the way that Brian uses language in these books. Um, because, yeah, like, there, there's also instances of, like, otters who don't know how to write. They may be able to read, but they don't know how to write. Yeah. Or vice versa. Uh, shrews, it's the same thing. Moles, it's the same thing. See, but that- also, there's, like- That would be The more moles believable. also have, like, a weird explanation because the moles can't see very well. True. And they also have big digging claws, so, like, why do they need to read and write? And it's, like- they can under they're gonna have their own whole fucking system. Right. I have so much speculative bullshit about these books <laughs> that just throws so much of Brian's shit out the window. Right. It's like she who will not be named, where we take her books and make it better. Basically, yeah. for listening. If you like this podcast, please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Abbey Archives. And if you'd like to read along with us, join our Discord, linked in the description below. You can also follow our parent podcast at Hope's Hearth Pod. Remember to wash your paws like good dibbins and take care of yourselves. Bye! <laughs>